You're about to listen to the amazing Trek Off podcast, but did you know there's also an amazing Trek Off movie in production right now? Watch the trailer at trekoffmovie.com. That's trekoffmovie.com. Also, if you want to hear over 100 hours of Trek Off, you can find that at trekoffpodcast.com or search Trek Off in your iTunes or your pod feed or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. Search for Trek Off. Finally, you can find lots more podcasts at Geeks Radio, the home of Trek Off podcast. Who Garrett and RJ go to Hollywood Ninjas versus you all at geeksradio.com. Now enjoy Trek Off. Warning the following contains plot spoilers and naughty language. That means explicit content. And the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. It's time for Trek Off Enterprise Double D. Welcome to Trek Off. My name is Justin. And my name is Alexia. And today, um, we uh, we have a guest. Um, and and boy, is this a guest that I have some questions for. Oh, I'm so uh, excited. Um, I have I, I I have some very uh, specific things to ask about a, a certain show and a certain character whose face I never got to see. Um, but uh, but we'll get there. Uh, uh, first of all, Alexia, how are you? Are we good? Yes, I am fantastic. Having a fantastic day. Okay, we're we'll talk about our Trek Week and stuff later on. Let's just get right to it. Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> um uh this is a gentleman um who uh who among other things um that we will talk about has been on Guiding Light, Another World, General Hospital, All My Children, 24, Remington Steel, Mineral, Melrose Place, Lost Highlander the series, which I really want to ask about, right? Because uh, <laughs> um, I love that one, um, and and a couple little shows you may have heard of called Star Trek: The Next Generation, Star Trek: Voyager, <laughs> Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, Star Trek: Enterprise. Um, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Mr. James Haran. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hello. Happy to be holy, here. Thanks for holy shit. Me. You've done a lot of stuff. Um, well, it's- been a while. Been around a while. <laughs> All right. So, uh, tell us about everything you've ever done in ten seconds. Go. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, we have this thing uh, we like to do. Uh, five minutes go. <laughs> so your whole life story, yeah. you can condense it, right? <laughs> well, let's go back. Let's I had, go. Let's... I had fun. Um, yeah, that's it. I had fun. I had fun. Brilliantly done, sir. <laughs> well done. Um, so, uh, so take us back. You are from originally uh, from Louisville, Kentucky. Um, how does someone from Louisville, Kentucky, end up doing uh, doing acting and voice acting out in LA? How does how does that happen? When do you make that transition? You know, I think the I think I, I always sort of entertained the notion of of acting. I but I was a jock in high school, and then I. Um, I went to uh, a small college in Kentucky called Center College in Danville, Kentucky, and I, I was an English major there. And I played football there for two years and ran track for them for two years. But I, I, I finally got out the courage to um, to go out for a play. And, and I the first role I went out for uh, was the Marquis de Sade. And I actually got that role. <laughs> Typecasting? <laughs> <play> called... <laughs> yes, yes. Well, my baptism by fire, I call it. Uh, I played and started playing bad guys then, and played bad guys for many years. But uh, no, I hit the bug bit really hard when I did that play, and when I was nineteen, and um, and then I did a couple more plays at the college level, and then I, I when it came, came time to graduate, I just had to decide whether I wanted to continue studying acting because I was intrigued by it or go get a teaching degree or something and the acting won out. So I, I applied to the University of Iowa where I was accepted in their Master of Fine Arts program, um, which is a two-year program. And I, uh, I was really just, uh, I just went, you know, full tilt buggy and, and uh, just took voice classes and singing classes and acting classes and continued to do plays. And I just, uh, I just really reveled in, 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 in the, the whole psychology and learning behind, behind acting. So that's when I started. And then when I finished that, I, uh, I, uh, had to decide between New York and LA and I, I chose LA. I came out here in 79. Why? And I just started, that's when I started the career. Why? Why, 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 well, why LA over yeah, why New York? LA? What, was, what was the, you know, I, it was weird because I, I knew one guy in LA and I knew no one in New York. So <laughs> I, uh, 
Yeah, that that basically made the decision for me. I I didn't know I didn't know anybody in New York City. I'd visited it, but and it was seemed you know pretty pretty fast paced for me. And being being a Kentucky guy, I just uh, from what I heard about LA, it seemed a little more laid back. So I just uh, you know loaded up my '63 Chevy and I, I I drove out and and just you know hung out my shingle and started had a variety of you know jobs to make ends meet and until I until I got a, a gig. Well, you seem like a nice young man, and I'm sure things are going to turn out for you. Um, <laughs> I know one day it'll work out if I just keep working hard. Um, I love her laugh. I know. Isn't it infectious? <laughs> um, plus, she's got really giant boobs. I do. Um, Ooh, baby. I've seen those online. I saw the broomski. Was that you giving her the broomski? No, that was our friend PJ. Uh, no, that was our friend PJ because Justin would be far too afraid of my boobies. No, 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 no. He'd freak him out. He doesn't know what to do. He's like, oh, Alexia has boobies. Oh, I can't no. handle it. Yeah, when she, when she goes to the doctor, they find she has no actual lady parts. She's like a Barbie, and I can't think of her in any other way. So there's, <laughs> she, she might, in fact, actually have writing across her butt. I'm not sure. Um, oh, well. Um, I'd be happy so, to inspect it for you sometime. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Well so done, man. After all, you can definitely inspect my ass to see if there's anything written on oh, it. There we go. <laughs> She'll even watch. Ask permission from my wife, but you know, we'll see. And her husband. Um, and my husband. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, we can hang out. We can all hang out. That's all um, I'm saying, right? It's a group thing. It's all good. Uh, <laughs> Um, so of course we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna hit Star Trek, but um, but I want to talk about some of the non-Star Trek stuff because some of it's really fascinating. Um, uh, talk to me about working on Remington Steel. Uh, what was that? Let's go in the wayback machine, Mister Peabody. Um, <laughs> hmm, Remington Steel. Wow. Well, you know, I I got to meet Pierce Brosnan. My favorite bond. Of, My favorite bond. He was kind of. Really, really, that's interesting. Yeah, he was kind of fresh off the boat, and he was he was fascinating because I was like, I think that was one of like one of my first gigs. I, I think Dynasty was about, I had a little guest star on Dynasty, but Remington Steel was a, like another four line thing I did. But he was he was as sweet as can be. I mean, he came over, introduced himself, wanted to talk about stuff. We talked about theater because you know he was theater trained too. And Stephanie Zimbalist was the kind of stuck up <laughs> gal who didn't uh, <laughs> who didn't oh, say yeah. anything to anybody. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was fun, and I, I enjoyed him. I, I've never met him again since, but I think if I did, you know, we could, we could strike up a conversation. He just seems like, a, seems like he, he maintained his, his humility over the years. Well, I, what I like about him is he seems to, like, he seems to own the fact that he, like, that he was Bond and he's not anymore, and he just kind of seems to still be into it. Like, did, he did this thing on Jimmy Fallon where he, uh, where he played the GoldenEye um, Nintendo 64 game. Uh, yeah. with awesome. Jimmy Fallon, and he lost. Oh, um, <laughs> oh damn. Which is, which is amazing. Um, is that because Jimmy Kimmel used Odd Job? Is that why? Like, because that's not fair. No, it's not fair at all. My favorite Bond, though, no, it is, like, like I, will, I will say that his Bond movies were not the best, but I feel like no one blended, like, I felt like he was the, the perfect, like, mix in between Connery and Moore, like, right in between is where he well, was. Well, you know what, too? He, he has Irish heritage. I'm not sure if he's, if both his parents are Irish, but one of them I'm pretty sure is, and he has that kind of Irish uh, camaraderie thing about him, because, you know, my, my grandparents are, are Irish on my father's side, and I became an Irish citizen, actually, through my grandparents, so. Really? There's just. Yeah, there's just something about the Celtic uh, camaraderie thing, you know. They're just hail fellow, well met, and yeah, I got that from him very big time. So uh, that was cool. Anyway, I and I think Sean Connery has that too because I think he has Celtic blood in him. <laughs> um, He's yeah, a Scot, the, after all. A, Sean Connery, the, the difficult one to do. Nobody does Sean yeah. Connery at all. Yes, well, you have to do the S's like this. Yes. Um, you know, if you, but, but, you know, the funny thing is if you take away the British accent with it, then suddenly it becomes Jimmy Stewart. Um, and Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart turns into Sean Connery better easily. Well, um, I suppose you can. Um, <laughs> uh, Highlander. Tell me about Highlander. Because they have to admit that... that, that that not a lot of people turn around and could name Highlander as one of their top 10 favorite 
TV shows. That's a great um, show, though. I would you, you almost. Um, you know, here's the thing. But well, I thought it was well. It was well done. You know, I thought it was really well done. It was well written. It was very. Uh, it was very erudite and and literary. Um, well, and, and pre uh, pre DS nine, it was like the like like one of the first shows that I saw that had like. Um, that was serialized that like you would have to watch from week to week to see what happened. There was, there wasn't a lot outside of soap operas that was on TV in the nineties that was doing that. So, right. um, well, the reason I, I, the reason I just tell you a quick story. The re the reason I got into Highlander was really because I had done Zorro in Spain. There was a, a series called Zorro. It was called the, the new Zorro with Duncan Regeer playing Zorro. If you know, if you, if you know that name, he was on Trek, uh, you know that name? Um, I will in a second. Duncan Ricker. <laughs> you will. But <laughs> the internet is for. Oh, oh, oh my gosh! He was. Uh, yeah, he was. Um, uh, he was Ronin. He was sex with a candle guy. Um, okay. And Shakar. He's Shakar. Yeah. 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 Well, we. So he did. Um, on Next Gen, he did this this episode where Justin uh, loves. It's his favorite where, episode. Where it's the worst episode. episode. <laughs> it's the worst episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation, where where Beverly Crusher falls in love with a ghost in a candle and constantly <laughs> orgasm orgasms on camera over and oh, over baby. and over again. And the ghost that he does that that she does that with is Duncan Regan. Duncan McGuire, and does she have so, the big hair while she's doing it? She has the big hair. She's yeah. laying back in, <laughs> laying back. And one time, Patrick Stewart walks in and catches her. I'm not making this I up. Know, I'm, I'm not, he's not oh, making really? this up. But she, I felt so bad for her watching this episode <laughs> because I feel like, like as an actor, to be given like, especially being an actress, right? Like it's like, okay, so what you're gonna do in this scene is you're gonna kind of have an orgasm by yourself like no stimulation oh, well, nothing's okay. going on and then and then you're gonna get interrupted just you know i'm like can you imagine getting that as like that's what you're doing uh, today at work i'm just saying oh, like, poor woman. <laughs> gates oh, yeah, she's sweet I, I like gates both of my episodes were with gates and i think that's what i wondered like i wish now that like i had a time machine so like i could ask you to ask her how horrible that day was on set like uh, you know, i never saw that show but my wife is a big she's a big next gen fan so she um, would know because we're we're like showing my eight-year-old son uh she's showing them all the star trek next gen episodes because nice. they're watching it on netflix so i'm sure that will come up not that we're going to explain to him what what she's doing but yeah no that's it's awkward <laughs> this is yeah. this like, is called sex over. with a candle um, <laughs> anyway, should I finish my story about Duncan yes, Regeer? Yes, please do. Regeer, please do. Lest we, lest we digress. Anyway, Duncan <laughs> Regeer was was Zorro uh, for many years in the like the early nineties, uh, late eighties, early nineties in Spain. I I did it in ninety two. They brought they brought me in. I did four episodes. I was I was Duncan Regeer's evil twin brother. Oh. Uh, I was Zorro's evil twin brother. And uh, we had these massive sword fights, and and it was great. We were in Madrid, you know, and it was wonderful to be there shooting. And um, it had been, you know, apparently this, Disney had let the the rights lapse because they they had the rights from the '50s series that you know I watched as a kid, the black and white one with Guy Williams, and uh, you know these guys snapped it up. This, uh, these uh, two producers and. They also happened to produce uh, the the first couple of seasons of Highlander. I'm not sure if they continued to do it, but the same guys did it. So they knew me from Zorro. And so when this role of uh, Grayson came up on Highlander, who was kind of the badass Terminator dude, uh, they brought they, they had me do it, which was great. And it was the same director, actually. I had worked with the same director in Spain, and he was directing this episode of Highlander. So that's uh, and then we shot that in Vancouver in Canada, and, and, um, and so you so got to use your sword skills again. Like, was that something you learned for Zorro? Or was that some training that you already had? Well, because I again I done I done my MFA in acting, and uh, you know that's one of the things you certainly learn in acting. Any acting school of, uh, of repute teaches <laughs> you uh, uh, fencing and uh, and and stage combat. So I certainly had stage combat and, and some fencing, but I worked with amazing sword choreographers. Uh, there was a, this is a fascinating story because these two guys who I, I'm pretty sure they've since passed, but uh, Peter Diamond and, uh, oh God, what's his other name? I'm spacing on the other name. Uh, Bob Anderson and, and Peter Diamond. They were the partners, British guys. They, had, they, they did all the um, laser sword um uh, fights in star wars they okay, did yeah. uh, princess they did princess bride 
They did the, all the all the all the sword choreography in that. Oh, wow. I worked with Bob Anderson on on Highlander and uh, Peter Diamond on Zorro in Spain. So I worked with both of these guys, and they had staged the you know the laser the laser sword fights in uh, the uh, in uh, Star Wars and The Princess Bride. They were amazing sword uh, sword guys and so yeah. personable sweet guys, and I just loved them both. And I was so privileged to be able to uh, learn from them. And so, you know, the sword fights were pretty spectacular in, in both Zorro and, and Highlander, uh, largely due to their expertise. Um, so there you go. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny. I've, um, the, one, of the ways, one of the things that we do out here is I, I produce these, uh, these um, independent martial arts uh, horror films. Um, okay. and when, when, and before we did the first one, before we ever really knew what we were doing, it was watching Highlander, the series was sort of, cause there's a, there's a hell of a lot of sword fighting in them. Um, uh-huh. and we were always kind of watching that and going, can we do this as well? Can we do this better? But that was always the kind of the mark of, of like, clearly these guys only had three, four days to shoot this. And yet they turned out looking this good. What tricks are they using to make it look like it does? And we sort of used that show as, as how to shoot sword fighting school. Um, yeah, because so, well, you're learning from the best because these two guys that choreographed, uh, well, like I said, the guy in Zorro, you can you could look at those sword fights too, and they're pretty amazing, the Zorro fights, and uh, because that was that was Peter Diamond and Bob Anderson did Highlander. Um, there's a documentary about those guys too. I've forgotten. I think it's called By the Sword or something like that. You could look it up. It's Bob Anderson and uh, and Peter Diamond. That's a, a documentary about their about their stage fighting techniques. Oh now, wow, that sounds very interesting. Because I mean, Princess Bride is like that widely regarded, and I tend to agree as like the greatest sword fight of like all time ever. Yeah, I know it's it's yeah. pretty it's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> good people, good people. And I got to uh, work with Mandy Patinkin later on uh, Criminal Minds. Uh, oh, really? did you? Yeah, you got to know what's, what's what he he seems like an interesting cat. Very interesting cat. We knew several people in common, you know, he but he and he's very he's very sort of introverted and into himself. I heard that's why he left Criminal Minds because it was like the subject matter was a little t- disturbing to him, I think on a weekly basis and I know and I can sort of understand that. Um Joe Montaigne t- came in, I think took over his role. But not took over, but you know, sort of took Filled him in. that position. Yeah. Yeah. But before we hit Trek, I, got, I, I have to ask, I see there's a lot of, of, of soap opera um, in there. And I have heard um, from people, other people who've done it that it is, uh, that it is crazy, um, the amount of work and the rapidity which was, with, with which they have to work. Um, what is that? What is that like? Because we've never talked about it on air. What is that like? Well, um, it is. It's it's very hard work. I I felt blessed. uh, I feel blessed to have been. My first soap was really uh, another world, which was uh, we shot out in Brooklyn and New York. It was in the old NBC studio out there, and it was called the Cadillac of the soaps (laughs) back in the day, because um, we're talking like eighty one, eighty two when I was on this show. and I, I was a contract player. I was kind of a shady lawyer type. But I was working with these amazing actors. Um, Doug Marlowe, Douglas Marlowe, I'm pretty sure that was his name. He was an old, uh, he was in uh, All About Eve with Betty Davis. Uh, wow. You can, you can, yeah, you can look. No, I'm sorry, Hugh Marlowe. Hugh Marlowe, that was his name. And Douglas Watson. He's another amazing they they just had this classic sort of Clark Gable thing going on that was just amazing. They would they, they they a lot of these soap people did theater at night. They came from the theater, so you know they they just brought this sort of uh, panache and uh, and bearing to this to this uh, medium, which was you know uh, usually frowned upon, especially these days, you know or it became kind of a teenage medium where kids were giggling and talking about sex, but. It was, uh, which is, <laughs> has its place, but uh, uh, the, these guys, man, they just, they just uh, were amazing to watch, you know, as a young actor, watching these people. And then, you know, then, then I remember I was on the phone one time as uh, one of my first scenes, I was on the phone and it's weird 
you know, because as an actor, when you're on the phone, especially on a soap opera, and you're like having to have a conversation on the phone, and this this actor Hugh Marlowe, who had been with All About and you know, All About Eve with Betty Davis, he was. I saw him out of the corner of my eye, like with his arms crossed, like watching me. You know, <laughs> and when I was, you know, it kind of made me nervous. And when I was done with the scene, as I was leaving the set, he can He said, "You know, kid," he said, "when." When you're talking to somebody on the phone, you have to wait for them to talk to you back. <laughs> he said, you think about it. He said, give a little time. It doesn't matter. You're on camera. People will get the fact that you're really talking to somebody. I said, oh, uh, thank you, Mr. Marlowe. Thank you. <laughs> That's great. But he, That's took, you know, he, took, he took the time out of his day to watch me and give me that advice. And uh, that's the way that soap was. I, I, you know, I feel I, I feel good that I was. That was my first soap. So, and I did all my children and, and loving after that as well. And uh, uh, I think I, I learned what I learned on all my children. I'm on on another world. I think I I, I carried with me because I do. I you know even though it was the 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 medium can be can be frowned upon or made jokes about. It's still a it's it's very real, you know, and I I still stand by the fact that I I saw some of the worst acting and some of the best that I've ever seen on soap well, operas. Well, just the idea that five days a week they're putting out an hour long program, um, and the amount of text that these guys got to be taking home and going, okay, this know this by tomorrow, and be able to oh, act it, and it's just nuts. I had thirty pages. I had when I was in the hot storyline, I'd I'd have twenty to thirty pages a night that I'd have to memorize. Oh. And, you know, you come in the next day and, you know, if you're not if you're not a trained actor, believe me, it shows because, you know, you just can't you can't make it. It, it look that's when it looks wooden and, and you get all the bad acting jokes. But you took some, I, I still there's a there's an actress named Julia Barr. You can look her up. Uh, she was on All My Children for many years. And that show is off the air now. But I, there was a scene I saw of her one time, and I, I told her this to her face. It was the best acting I've ever seen, be it on stage, film, TV, anywhere. And it was an amazing, uh, an amazing scene where she learned that her, I, I think her child had been killed in a in a car accident, and she was having this posh dinner with the you know the wealthiest man in town, and her ex husband comes to the door and has to tell her this news, and just the emotions that went through her face. I mean, I was sobbing on the floor when I was watching her on on on, on the set, and then you know when I watched it later on on camera, I went, man, this woman just went through every the gamut of emotions in in a in in five seconds. So anyway. That's that's. I just think because of the like you say the quickness of the pace, it, it brings out it, it can bring out the best or the worst. Oh, definitely. You know, and I gotta say, I actually um, I watched Another World a lot when I was uh, in high school, which it makes me sad that was apparently after your time because I I watched probably like the early nineties, I guess. Um, okay. But I now I wish like I could go back and see you on it because I wonder if I, like what characters that you knew that I probably still knew when I watched it and stuff. But like I, you know, I thought that the acting was like certainly there was bad acting, but there's bad acting in anything. Do you know what I mean? Like I think, and yeah. sometimes it's ridiculous, you know, plot lines and whatnot, and people well, you die. Know all who the time on back, but... You know who was on there? You know who was on there with Kira Sedgwick? She started on oh, there. I remember yeah. sitting and talking to her in the makeup room. Um, uh, Robert Duncan McNeil. Who was in Trek? Oh, You're, you know, yeah, no, you know who he was, right? yeah, Tom Paris. Yeah, Tom Paris. Oh, wait a minute, he didn't do Another World. He was on All My Children. I worked with him on Children. Yes. Okay. Uh, Kira Sedgwick was definitely on on All My Children on on Another World. I remember her because she was a kid, you know, and oh, she's wow. now married to what's his name, Kevin um, Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon, yeah, and uh, I haven't seen her, you know, since then. But I just. I just remember she had she had a small she started as a young girl on Another World, but there were there were just some excellent people who came through that show. That's I think that's yeah. Why I feel like it's probably a good place to. St I mean, I feel like I mean being an act like being sort of thrown into something that intense early on. Like I'm sure that's got to prepare you for kind of anything that's going to come your way later on down the line. Yeah, and there was a woman. Uh, there was Douglas Watson who played the older man, the white-haired older man with the mustache. You must remember. I've forgotten the character name. And then there was Constance Ford, the actress Connie Ford. If you look her up, she, I mean, she had an amazing resume. She did Twilight Zones out here, you know, in the, in the 60s. And she was oh, out wow. here for a while. And she did probably Alfred Hitchcock Presents, all that stuff. And plus, I'm sure she did movies. 
but I, I remember we had a, we had a party scene. <laughs> we had a party scene where we were all, you know, we were all in our tuxes and 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 women were in their gowns like you are when you're doing a party scene on a soap. And they they take like twelve hours to shoot these party scenes. So we were all bored out of our minds. So we were, you know, we were we were encouraging the older stars, these older folks, to tell their stories and. And I was talking. I remember I was talking to Douglas Watson and uh, and Connie Ford, and uh, we can we can use off color language on this show, can't we? Go nuts! <laughs> oh, fucking good. Anyway, uh, I remember I remember talking to Doug Watson, and I said uh, I said Doug, did you spend time in L.A.? He said, Oh yes, yes, I spent time in L.A. You know, he did, he worked at the Mark Taper Forum. He did you know plays, and, and he did early television and then I and Connie Ford was over in the corner I brought her into the conversation I said Connie I I know you did I know you did Twilight Zones and stuff and I said uh you know why why didn't you uh, why didn't you stay in LA why didn't you come to New York she said oh honey if I'd stayed in LA I'd have drank and fucked myself to death (laughs) (laughs) and and then I turned to Doug Watson and I said and and what's your answer he said oh honey I'd have drank and fucked myself to death (laughs) You know, J- James. James, I find it ironic that soon after that you found yourself in L.A. Um, <laughs> because I was looking forward to it, baby. <laughs> That's the place for me. Hey, hope uh, we can fucking drink my love to that shit. Let's do it. Yeah, baby. Uh, uh, all right, so let's get into uh, this is a this is a dirty Star Trek podcast. So let's uh, let's uh, talk about Star Trek: The Next Generation. It turns out uh, you can't do a next gen episode without metaphasic shielding. Um, I was gonna say right. Ooh, I, know I, know. I was like, I, when I was watching the second one with you in it, I was like, oh, I wonder if they planned that. If they were like, we have this lieutenant, let's let's go ahead and get James back because he was in that uh, metaphasic shielding episode as Jabril. <laughs> like, wouldn't that just be fun? <laughs> yeah, that was trippy. That was a trippy thing when but, she uh, when. Uh, Gates was in Crusher was in charge of the Enterprise and she was like you know can we go into the Corona of the Sun uh let me think about it for a minute yeah I, think we can. <laughs> I did that I did that once I did that before <laughs> like wait a minute I remember the metaphasic shielding hey I got a hole blown in me before because of am I on candid right? camera <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm actually distantly related to Joe Brill who you killed uh, yeah. woman so I don't know if you could use the metaphasic shielding bitch. <laughs> um uh go fuck a go candle. Um I uh, so like so and I'm going to I'm going to ask ask this probably about the experience on on all of them but what is uh what's the vibe on that set man? What's it like like when the camera stopped rolling what's it like? Oh I you know again I just I I just felt very much at home because they, they almost all of those people are from the theater which you know and I am too in my the, their training is theater and and because it's the same, it's you know, it's the same with with soaps uh, to a degree. Especially like I like we were saying with Another World, all those people were from the theater originally, and so they bring a theater ethic to it. And you know, starting with Patrick Stewart on down. Of course, Stewart was was trained in the in the English theater, which is the you know the top of the top, and. And then, but almost everybody else in the show, it seemed, Gates, I, I'd seen her do uh, do Midsummer Night's Dream in Central Park years ago uh, when I was living there doing the soap. And we talked about that. So it was interesting that I got to do both of my, both of my episodes with her on, on Next Gen. And um, so, yeah, I just, it, it, you know when you're in the company of theater people because they, they bring a work ethic to the, they're not just goofing off, fucking off, they're, they're there to work, and they come prepared. You know, it's just a different vibe than than people who've just done just on camera. It's uh, the the interesting thing from from a fan perspective. You know, when when you're a fan and you watch all the shows, um, uh, the interesting thing is you you don't see all the DS9 cast all getting together, and you don't see the Voyager cast all getting together, and you don't see the Enterprise cast all getting together. But to this day, the next gen folks get together and hang out. Um, they're constant. Even Patrick Stewart, who is you know career-wise, you know you could say that Patrick Stewart has gone career-wise, you know, way beyond where some of them have gone, and yet yeah. he is he is there and present and and there for all the different social engagements that they do. Um, and and so it's interesting. I'm wondering if that did you get a sense of the the familial uh, like atmosphere or at the point when you were were on? Was it just kind of work? 
I did. I mean, I, I, I definitely sense it. I wasn't there enough to really absorb it or, or you know, participate in it. Uh, I just said, like I said, I, I, I got the... I got the vibe that these were these were theater folks, professional folks, and I I really I appreciated that. I met Patrick Stewart just once in passing when I was doing Joe Brill. I didn't work with him in the other episode because you know almost all the cast was prisoners on the Borg planet. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that first episode, I you know he came over. I think Joe Brill was lying supposedly dead on a on a gurney, and and he came over and had some had a scene with uh, with Gates. And so I met him when I was lying there. <laughs> Hello, how are you? I looked, I looked up his nostrils and <laughs> was impressed. Um, but uh, no, I mean, I, I, I certainly, it, you know, I just think, especially the English school, uh, I say this about Anthony Hopkins, too. They, they, they just appreciate the work uh, for itself because they, they, they do, they do stage. They start out certainly with stage and then they do TV, they do film. And they, but they, they could do become a major film star and go back and do TV, or they could go back and do plays, and it, it doesn't matter because it's it's all under even in England it's all under one union. It's called Actors Equity and Union. They in in, the, in England they it's all covered by one union, whereas we have separate unions for different things in this country. So there's no stigma about doing um, about doing TV and doing film. It's like you go back and forth, and certainly that that didn't hurt Patrick Stewart. He, he's a nice young man as well. I'm sure he'll be fine. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he is. I'd love to hang out with him sometime. <laughs> um, I, I, moving on to DS9. So, so, wait, wait, um, wait, wait, wait. I want well, to Okay, sorry. So, you, just, you just ran out over everything, Justin. Hey, no, shit. Sorry. It's a wham, bam. Thank you. Go ahead. <laughs> really, it is. So, when, when you were um, like Joe Brill and um, you had the, the fight scene like in the tiny little, you know, runabout, like how small is that space actually? Because it looks so small on the screen. But like, I'm wondering if it's like, was it actually that compact? Did that make that little scene harder? And then you had like this big hole blown in you and stuff. Like, how was all of that? Because that seems fun to me. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it was very tiny, and there wasn't there wasn't a lot of fight choreography to be done, as as I can as I remember. Plus, I had a I had a stunt double who did a, a lot of that. It was oh, did just you? sort of their deal. Yeah, pardon me. They had a they had a deal. I mean, they I think they didn't allow. I would I certainly would have done it if they taught me the moves they wanted because I I'm, I'm able to do that. But they sure. had a guy already there standing there who was the uh, who was the stunt double. He did a lot of doubling for. Uh, he was on staff, you know, as uh, on Next Gen, and so he just stepped in and did the fighting with uh, with, uh, Bev- with with Gates McFadden's uh, stunt double, and they did all the fighting. And then I was wearing sort of a they, were, they had a different costume, in fact, with the whole you know that that digital hole that was blown into me, <laughs> and so that that's what made it look like there you know there was like you could see through the hole, and he could he could alter his cellular whatever. To uh, not be hurt by it. <laughs> so like be like whatever. I got a hold of my. So, it's no so, big fucking deal. Yeah. So it's 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 really. It's re- it's really funny because uh, there, um, Mr. A and Alexia keep talking about the. Uh, it's really your story to tell. They 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 are talking about their rewatch of DS Nine, and they've noticed that when there's ever trouble, uh, t- t- tell them what Mr. A has discovered about uh, what they about jargon. Oh yeah, he's like, oh the jargon and the jargon, jargon jargon. Like like that's just how they get themselves out of everything. Like if there's a problem, it's jargon jargon jargon. You know? Yeah, okay, definitely jargon. <laughs> Like the shielding, same thing. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we're really fucked right now. Wait, didn't we make up some jargon the last time about some kind of crazy shield that would just let us, like, let us go hang out in the sun? Why don't we use that? Sort of a holodeck. Or the holodeck. Any number of things. Like, so, were you before you were ever on the show? Like, did you ever watch the show? Were you ever into it at all, or was it just kind of like you just? It was just like another job. Well, I mean, I I grew up and was a huge fan of of uh, of Star Trek: The Original Trek. So you know, I was a kid, and, and you know, everybody in junior high school when I was a kid was when we were watching it was were huge fans, and we were so disappointed when it you know it only lasted three years, and then and we we in fact I mean we we petitioned NBC even back then from Louisville, Kentucky, to keep the show on the air because oh, it was wow. so. Yeah, it was so wonderful. I mean, 
I also watched Lost in Space back in that time because you know we were all we loved all that sci-fi shit, but which wasn't there wasn't enough of it on the air. Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. I mean, all that stuff. It was intriguing, but Star Trek was just it was you know it was just opened up a whole new world, so to speak. So I mean, we all knew what how wonderful it was, but and so when when Next Gen came about, I mean, I can't even. I don't even know exactly when that happened uh, in my consciousness or when I, uh, my agent put me up for a role. I was, I was so secretly stoked <laughs> because <laughs> I get to two tracks. I get so to audition it, for tracks. Yeah, I was going to say, like, did that make it harder to Because like, I can imagine, right? Like, if somebody said, okay, Alexi, you're going to go on an audition for Star Trek anything, like, I would be a complete wreck. Like, I, how did you get through that audition process? Like, did you just try not to think about it? Like, <laughs> Like, we well, just like, just... <laughs> no, I mean, the casting director, uh, she's she's very well known, and Junie Lowry Johnson, it's a hyphenated mm-hmm. last name. She was she was very well respected, I remember, over at Paramount. I mean, she cast a bunch of stuff. So she she was an older gal. She brought a she brought a you know a different sort of I mean a gravity to the whole situation. So it was, and you know, the scenes are not frivolous. They're they're very down to earth and and real. And you know, you just encourage to play it very real. I mean, I, like I said, my, my wife is a, is a Trek fan and she's, we're showing my eight year old, uh, she watches next gen on, they're watching like every episode on Netflix and my kid watches it and he's fascinated because it's, you know, it's intriguing stuff and it's, it's played for real. It's not played like, Oh, we're doing something in space and the far off future. No, it's played like these, you know, these because it's human. It's it's it's, yeah. it's all about human nature and and emotions. And well, that's that's uh, what keeps you coming back week to week, right? I mean, it's not it's it's not the ship or the lasers. It's like you know, it's it's like any any TV show you watch. It's it's coming back to visit your friends. Right. I mean, I and that's what I loved about the original Trek as a kid. It was uh, it was these, you know, these relationships that these characters had and who they were, and they were true to who they were. I mean, Spock was true to who he was he couldn't he couldn't not be a vulcan and yet he had human blood in him as well which was fascinating if you'll pardon the pun (laughs) (laughs) so what's it like so you so being a fan you step like that very first time you're there in the enterprise bridge you're just like holy fuck i'm here like is there is there that sense no sure i i I had a picture taken of course (laughs) and uh yeah, I mean, when I did when I did the first show, it was uh, it was it was definitely yeah. I, I was like I said, I was just it was it was a stoked stoked moment to be to be in that set, and then and then to be to be to be blessed with doing it, you know, four more times or however many times I was able to do it. Well, and and that's what I want to bring up next is is uh, is of of all the roles, there's the one that 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 I knew you best as. Um, although, although when I see Lieutenant Bar- Barnaby, I just want to go Lieutenant. Cause that's just what I want to say. Um, oh, I know. Uh, I just say like sidebar there. Like when I watched the episode again, like knowing that we were going to be able to chat with you, I was like, yeah. I was like, damn, why is he being so mean to her? Like, and I remembered the first time I watched that episode when you were like, you were like so shitty to the ensign. I was like, why is he being, a dick like why don't they ever let you be nice like i feel like you could do nice why don't they let you be a good guy I was, finally, I was a little, i was a little relieved when you got on the phone and like you were cool and i was like oh i know shit. i was like is he gonna be horrible is, is he gonna be, gonna be awful mean? to me now <laughs> i mean they described the guy as a as a veteran lieutenant as a veteran guy you know so he you know i mean he was taking Worf's place basically on the bridge and they, I mean, they they told me that that part might be recurring, which would be, you know, would have been majorly cool, and it, unfortunately it didn't. But, you know, I was just playing it to sort of, you know, with the idea that I might be coming back. And so I wanted to have some place to go and not, you know, so if he starts out kind of pricky, then maybe he could go someplace, you know. Oh, definitely. And I, I certainly even felt like, and I got to say, you know, like watching it again, like and and sort of, you know, dissecting your performance, if you will. Like I was like, by the end, even of that episode, like when, you know, Ensign Chick had a cool idea and was kind of snarky back at you, like, and it worked, like, you cut, you had this great moment that you played where it was like, oh, wow, that was actually really great. And then like, you know, oh, okay, you know, but I'm going to, I'm going to calm down now, but I'm still going to kind of grudgingly give you some respect. I was like, yeah. that's really cool. Like, even in that little episode, you kind of had a, a little journey, which 
you know, for a role that, you know, isn't necessarily recurring. Like, I think it would have been great if it had been. But, like, I think you did a great job, like, just kind of having a little arc even in there, like, for somebody who's just kind of taken Worf's place. Like, you did so much more with it than that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Now, I've I've watched DS9 about... About a hundred times. Um, I, it, it is, in my opinion, the 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 best of the of all the Trek series, original series included. Forgive me for saying so. But you're wrong. Um, that's fine. That's fine. You're allowed to think that. Fine, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, wow, I'm getting a, an echo. Hold up. See, it's um, because you're wrong. Me yeah, and Jake know that you're wrong. It's, and it's what's guilt. happening is the wrongness is causing an echo. <laughs> it's guilt fucking with me. That's amazing. Absolutely. Um, I, I would say that I've seen a lot of Jem Hadar in my time, sir, and you were my favorite. Oh, definitely. Of all of them that they ever had ever on the show. For sure. Well, when people ask me what my what my favorite you know Trek uh, character was, I, I have to say it was uh, the the Jem Hadar character. His name was Ikatika, and because it was you know, and not only because it was a two character, it was a two part arc. You know, there were two shows that I was on. It was you know a cliffhanger, and then it went to the next one, and. It was just because you know he had some place to go. He started out one way and and got to go to another another place. Like I was talking about Barnaby, it would, would have been interesting to see him change if he'd come back over the over the time. But um, that's what I liked about the Jem Hadar character is because he you know he was definitely an he was one of the oldest Jem Hadar because they didn't live to be very long. Apparently, you know, two or three years was the life lifespan. So he was he was obviously a commander. He was in charge of that penal colony. And he was staging these gladiator battles between his people and, and, and other races. And so he was happy to have a Klingon. But he was so impressed by, by Worf's prowess and, uh, and, and nobility that, that he was willing to sacrifice himself to let him live. Well, I, I think it was very noble. I think in the hands yeah. of, of a different actor, it would be really easy to play him vicious, warrior, aggressive, and instead, like, to, to lend um, this three-dimensionality. Because you, you only have, you know, you're not the only scenes in the episode. There's a lot else going on in the other episodes. And you have this opportunity to say, essentially, in my opinion, this is the heart of what this race is and what their code of ethics is. And another actor, the same lines could be something very not as good. Um, yeah. and, and you brought a soul, not just to that character, but the characters that followed up that weren't played by you later on. Um, like you get the sense of that informed for me, what the gem Hadar was for the rest of the show. Um, oh, definitely. Cause I think before then they were, they were so, you know, they were, except for that one episode with Bashir when the one guy was trying to break their, you know, dependency on the drug or whatever. Like, I think that was the only other time we ever really saw the Jem'Hadars as anything other than just sort of vicious fighting machines. And I thought what you did was so great. It was like this majesty to them almost where like you kind of had to they were vicious and they were awful sometimes but like you almost kind of had to have a sort of grudging respect for them after that because like there was something noble about your character like when he was like i could kill him but i can't defeat him and i was like it just it gives you chills you're just like oh wow that's intense (laughs) i cannot defeat this klingon all i can do is kill him and that no longer holds my my interest interest. oh yeah (laughs) i mean It's just one of those moments, you know, when you're watching something and you like get the chills. That's one of those moments where you're just like, oh, wow. (laughs) No, it was a great it was a great line, a great scene. And I, you know, it's like you have a handful of those in your career. So I was happy to have that. Well, what's 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 fun. uh, What's fun about it is that we you know, we always joke that the point of wharf um on the shows is for is for the tough alien to show up or for data to go bad and and beat the shit out of him to show how tough they are like Worf okay. never wins a fight until ds9 like in next gen it's always some alien shows up like and Worf goes to fight them and they like beat that Worf shit. down yeah. and people are people are like shit that alien must be tough and so <laughs> and so like that again. In my opinion, the 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 shining moment for that character for Worf's characters. I mean, I, I in my opinion, that's that that is that is the moment. Now, what what was that like? What was it like beating the shit out of Worf? <laughs> oh well, again, again, they they have stunt doubles for all oh, most of the fight. You know, 
You don't get to do, I mean, you do, you do the close-ups and, uh, you know, certainly, like I said, I've been trained, uh, Michael Doran's been trained and, and, you know, we, we, we did the close-up stuff together, but you know, the other stuff they did with, with doubles, but, um, you know, he and I, you know, I, I still see him at conventions. I saw him in Louisville, Kentucky, actually, this past summer, we were there together and he, you know, he posed with my son and we were able to chat a little bit. He's a, he's a, he's a nice man. Very nice man. Um, so how is it with the the makeup then? Like, so these stunt doubles have to get into all the same makeup as you guys and then just do the stunt yeah. stuff and you guys just hang out in your makeup until that's done. Like, how does that work? Well, <clears throat> speaking of makeup, I mean, that, uh, the Jemadar, I, that was my earliest in my career, uh, uh, makeup call was 3am for a, for a, for a 7am set call oh. because they, they had, uh, I mean, I mean, I showed up having had you know a couple of hours sleep, uh, and I just kind of slept in the makeup chair while this guy applied this all this crap to my face. And then you know, you wake up and you go, "Okay, that's the character, huh?" I see in the mirror there, <laughs> uh, because I had not done a lot of research on the Jem Hadar. They sent me, I think, a couple of episodes where they'd appeared before because I had some questions about you know what kind of guys they are. So I'd seen a little bit of it, but. Again, as we as we discussed, uh, this character was was different than typical Jem'Hadars because they 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 explained it to me because he was older, and they said as they get older they do mature, but they um, and they, I think their sensibilities sort of change a little bit. But I was this character was the Ikadika. He was one of the oldest that had that had lived that long, and I think that's why he he had developed that sense of of honor and respect. That's really, um, so it was so it was longer for the makeup for that than for Joe Brill, like by a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think it was like three hours for Joe Brill, uh, and and again, I think Joe Brill was a was a race that had never been seen before. That Takaran, I think they were called Takarans, and um, and I that so they they didn't know. I think they had, they had a design Michael Westmore who who did all the makeup and won the Emmy awards. Uh, he was from the famous makeup family. Uh, he, you know, he designed the makeup. So I think that was, that character had never been seen before. So, but it was, it was kind of a little more, um, uh, I think, I guess, easier to apply. I guess the Jem Hadar because of the tubes and all that stuff is a little harder to apply. Uh, so maybe that's why they needed more time with the, with the Jem Hadar. And was um, it, is it like hot in there? Is it more like, is it easier or more difficult? Like to, do you feel the act? Cause like one of the things I noticed that I felt like I, for me was sort of striking about the way you did uh, the Jem Hadar character was that like you were, there wasn't a lot of, of, uh, I don't know. What's the word I'm looking for? Like, you didn't chew the scenery. Like, there wasn't a lot of, like, like, I'm a Jim Hadar. Check out my Jim Hadar artist. Like, you were well, you sort know, of... The great, the great stuff about that makeup, uh, I mean, it's amazing. I think they patented it. Uh, Michael Westmore had a patent on that makeup. It was it was the kind of foam that I think they, uh, you know, they, I don't want to be funny, but they used it for, when women had mastectomy, they used it to make fake fake breasts. It was so it was so soft and realistic that and they could glue it right up to your lips, right up to your eyes, and it, it you know it's just that's what made it look so fabulous. And when you touched it, it felt like skin. Huh. And and so you know when you you could talk without it wasn't like having vampire teeth in or anything. It it wasn't like having some weird Halloween mask on your face. It really felt. Like I said, when I went to, you know, I, I, I came to, I came to the makeup chair at 3 a.m. and woke up a couple of hours later and, and wow, this, you know, <laughs> it's like you create the character by seeing yourself in the mirror and who is this guy, you know, like you do when you're doing a play or whatever, you become the character when you put the makeup on sometimes. Yeah. So, um, it was just, uh, it, I mean, it, it wasn't uncomfortable was the point. And uh, plus I don't, as a, as a, as a, as a person, I don't sweat a lot. I'm not a heavy sweater. So I didn't sweat under the makeup a lot. So I didn't. They didn't have to constantly be reapplying it or regluing it. And then they you know they were very happy about that with me. I, I, <laughs> they let I, me know. I like to. I, I like to share the story whenever I can. Of course, our, our listeners know that the the way that I became a, as big a Trek fan as I was, I was a casual before. Um, while I was uh, in in school for theater, I uh, I played a Romulan at, for Paramount Parks was how I got into it. So um, the same people that did the, uh, the Star Trek experience in Vegas, they, they had a whole series of parks in the 90s. 
Um, and and so we we actually got um, we got those that that Westmore foam um, uh, for what we did in the parks. And what we had to do is we had to wear you know the the ma- the costumes and the makeup. They were all from LA and they all came from from Paramount. Um, and because we had to be in the sun when we did it, um, they we actually put panty liners inside our heads. Um, was was the way that we dealt. We would take light days and we put them on the inside of the mask and put the mask on our heads. And because we'd have to be in a hundred degree heat, uh, yeah, basically tough. walking around taunting people. The Klingons had it worse because they had to wear the the leather and the hair all over their face yeah. too. Um, but uh, so when you when you mentioned the foam, it brought back memories because I remember it's this it's this bizarre. Yeah, well, we, did, we didn't we didn't have to be in the sun, thank God. It was all shot interior, you know, with air conditioned sets. So you know, but I I think if you if you were as a person or a heavy sweater when you're under that stuff, it just it, you do perspire a lot. So they they're on the set ready to with their with their glue to glue pieces that are coming off. But, you know, I just remember them coming up to me and say, oh, you know, you're holding up very well, which <laughs> you like to hear from makeup people. Oh, Tell sure. Me- you always like to hear that you're they're making somebody's life easier, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Tell me about Tosin on Fairtrade in Voyager. Okay. Well, um, you know, he didn't have a lot to do. That was another character that apparently uh, the the race had never been seen before. He was, uh, I think, what, what was a Colati? I think was the race, something like that. And he was, uh, you know, kind of a typical thug um, leader of this gang of alien bad guys. That I had that scene with um, Ethan Phillips uh, playing Neelix, and you know, that's another one that would have been nice to explore a little more. But it was just that one-off thing. And again, they, you know, it, that was the thing about Trek. I think once they knew that you could put that schmutz on your face and, and be okay with it. <laughs> They're like, let's call him in. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, once they know you were cool with it and you didn't freak out. Because some actors, I mean, I had friends of mine who just said they, they could not do that. They would not do it. They could not do it. Because you have to wear a full, the, the way they take a mold of your face, I'm sure you've dealt with this, you've talked about this before, they put this this molding mud like all over oh your face gosh. and you have to breathe through uh, like straws in your nose for 20 minutes until the mask hardens. Then they can take the mold off and then they have they can create the appliance on the inside of the mask, which is a, you know exact replica of your face. And there were actors that just point blank couldn't do that. So that eliminated... Uh, uh, quite a few of the competition, which was great. <laughs> did you only um, have to do that the one time, or did they have to do that every time they made new pieces for you? With Tosin, I only had to do. Oh no, no. I, uh, with the, you mean the mask? Yeah, the mask. I'm pretty sure was only once. Then they then they kept it on file, of course, because uh, they right. they had the, uh, the ongoing stuff in the same makeup department. You know that that means that somewhere there's a room full of heads. Somewhere, uh, yeah. somewhere there, there, there is a room full of full of actor heads. Um, it's I would love to see that room. That's a Me terrifying too. thought. That's might be on cool. eBay one day, <laughs> <laughs> or it might be like um, in a museum one day, like some version of. I just started watching Futurama, and they have the little the little heads in jars or whatever. Like so, I imagine at some point, like in the sci-fi museum, they'll just all y'all's heads. Your little uh, mask heads. I have to tell you. I have to tell you a quick story, if I may. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, <clears throat> you know who John Hertzler is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Martok. Martok. He was General Martok. Oh, I okay. love him. <laughs> now, um, and he had a he had a great you know continuation of of his character, which was fabulous for him. And um, and uh, but I little known fact that probably I when he also did Zorro in Spain with Duncan Regeer. Uh-huh. He was uh-huh. a regular on that show. He he was on there longer than I was. And so when but I did the I did the I was there for a month. I did 4 weeks on the show for different episodes. And he played uh the mayor of the town. I've forgotten the character's name, but he had a white, you know, shock of white hair and a white beard and very dashing character such as uh, like John is. If anybody's ever met him at a convention, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and, uh, um he lives back east now. He's no longer out here. He's back east. I think he's teaching. But he's up, uh, near, up near Albany, I think. That's right. That's right. You guys should really have him on if you can. Um, I'd love to. I'd love to. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> well, I, I mean, I can, I can write him for you because he, he's so fascinating. We can talk about that later. But he, uh, when I was doing, uh, when I was doing, I think it was God. I guess it maybe it was. I guess it was uh, Deep Space. When I was doing Deep Space as a, as a Jem Hadar, he he was on the set for some reason, maybe shooting something else, or, may, or no, no, no. You know he what was it was? That's right. I put I put the, my character put out his eye. Yep. That's oh, that, what it was. That's right how he show. became blind. Oh, that's how he became right. blind in one eye. Because he came up, I mean, he had a scene, he had a scene with Worf, where he, that's where he first meets Worf, right? Yeah, because he's, he's all, like, shell-shocked from you. He's all, like, like Yeah, because Worf is all, like, I want to fight him. And he's like, dude, don't be so quick, because you see this? That was his work. <laughs> like, that's oh, right. He said he, right. he put out my eye. Yep. So, uh, and then when, but I, he, was, he was all in makeup, and we had different makeup calls, so I didn't see him in the makeup room. So when we were on the set, and I was kind of doing my deal, he was doing his deal, and he came by, and he, I, I don't know how he knew it was me, but he, he, went, he came over, and he got in my face, and he looked, he just kind of pointed to his face, and he said, Hertzler. I said, what? <laughs> he said, James. It's Hertzler. I said, excuse me? <laughs> because, I, I mean, it had been a couple of years. I hadn't heard his name, you know. John Hertzler. Zorro. I said, oh, okay, man. You look a little different. That's that amazing. But, you know, he comes up and whisk, gets in my face and whispers to me. Hertzler, I said. It sounded like a, you know, a Klingon word or something. <laughs> That's awesome. So you're like, is this dude fucking with me? Like, what's going on right exactly. now? Who, who is this guy? Am I supposed to know what Hertzler means? <laughs> yeah. Okay. What well, am I supposed to know what that means? Hertzler? I don't speak Klingon, sir. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's really prepared. Moment. Moment. Yeah, he's really living the the the, the role. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, okay, so so finally, um, what the fuck was going on with Future Guy, man? Um, <laughs> I I know your name is supposed to be Human. You know that your name's Future Guy, right? You know that that's that's what oh, everybody yeah, calls you. Oh yeah, sure, I know uh, that. Um, do you can you like do you have the skinny? Do you, did did they ever tell you what like who he was? Yeah. Did you ever find out? You know, I I I went. Uh, I did the I did the I guess the first episode. Uh, and then I, there was a, like some party, some opening party with, uh, with Brandon Braga and, uh, what's the other guy's name? Rick Berman? The two guys, Berman, it was Berman and Braga. Yeah. Okay. And at the, at the party, I, I, I remember distinctly like talking to them going, well, what, what do you have planned for this guy? And they go, Oh, wow. Guy, you, man, you are going to be the dude. We are going to, we're going to do so much with you. You are the guy you're beaming in from the future. And we're just, it's all going to, you know, you're controlling everything. And they went on and on about how they were going to keep using me. Well, you know, it ended up being what, like three, four episodes. And then it just died. <laughs> and they never explained what it was. And I never got to know the other guy, what was the name? The character of Daniels, right? He was, uh, he was he was able to project himself in the flesh back to the past from the future, whereas this character that I was doing was just kind of beaming himself in this, uh, you know, shadowy figure. That's all they. Ever I always wanted him. you to end up being Scott Bakula. Like I wanted, like, like I mean, I'm glad it's you. I'm glad you got. I'm glad you got the work. Um, but I always wanted, like, at the end, like for Scott Bakula from the future to walk out and go, "Listen, man, Al and I have quantum leaped back here to save you because you're like." Like, <laughs> like things hurt. Um, but no, seriously, I was, I, I, I like that was, uh, that was from a fan perspective, of course, very frustrating, but like, like so intriguing and was my favorite thing about the first uh, couple seasons of Enterprise was, was what was that going to be? And, yeah, uh, like that storyline. And much like Lost, um, it was, it was this question that was so important to me as a fan that then didn't get answered. 
Um, yeah. Um, I, yeah. I really wanted to know who your like who your character was. Like from a fan perspective, it was like this was such a cool storyline. This idea of a temporal cold war, and like this guy yeah. is from you know the future, but not the super future. Just like almost the you know like a few hundred years or whatever, just fucking around. Like and why? Like what? What? Are, what are, what's his reason? Why did? Why did they have? Why did they have two different technologies? Whereas you know one could come back in the flesh, and one one needed to be like a projection. I, you know, it, it never got explained. It just, they just dropped it. And yeah, apparently, I don't, I don't, Enterprise apparently was never accepted by the fans really as a, as a, as a Trek series, was it? Now, it's funny you say that because I was on the letter writing campaign that helped to get its fourth season. So oh, okay. I actually, I actually, when they were going to cancel it after the third season, I actually was, was there writing going, going, please, please continue, please continue. Just don't like make it suddenly alien Nazis. Um, which they decided to do, um, or okay. or a terrible final episode, which they decided to do. Oh, geez. Um, yeah. um, uh, but but in general, like like that, have fans ever come up to you and like given you like speculation as to what it was? Like like, have you gotten sort of a definitive consensus from fans at conventions and stuff about what what they think it it was? What it what they think you were? No, I, you know, and I gotta say, I, I really, that's, that's kind of in the, all the conventions I've done, I've, and nobody ever brings it up much. So, you know, I even, I even heard that people felt like they were betraying, I mean, the, that they were betraying, um, um, oh God, who's the guy that created the Roddenberry's whole thing because he didn't want anything, uh, prior to classic track, right? Was what I'd heard. I, there was, there was early talk, um, early talk right around uh, Star Trek six that they were going to do um, like a Starfleet Academy show. Um, yeah. And then they, they, they sort of said, no, the, let's just keep moving forward, keep it moving up instead of back. Um, and then since enterprise, they've just wanted to move it back. Um, well, I just heard fans say that they, they, they looked at it as a sci-fi show, but not a Trek show. So it, it really never get, I don't get asked those questions about future guy. Oh, that's t- I I want to know. That's I, like I'm surprised. I guess I probably like Enterprise more than most Trek fans, though. I felt like okay. it. I felt like it was right in a lot of ways. Like it felt it. Fe- I feel like it bridges that gap. Like it feels like sort of our space program now, but like on steroids. You know what I mean? So it's yep. not quite to like where we are in the in the original series. So it's like I could no, see I that. It was fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I, I really thought it was inter- intriguing as an idea, and uh, I, you know, I liked Bakula's performance. I thought, you know, he was a little laid back, but he didn't have that whole, you know, Star Trek Star Trek captain vibe to him. But you know, the whole cast, you know, they were they were all kind of they were all kind of laid back as people, I, I think. But uh, I'm, you know, my wife, as I said, she's a Trek fan, and uh, she she enjoyed it. But I don't know. I just I think they gave it up maybe a little too soon. I do too, because I th- I think they they were places they could go. Like, because I do th- I think I see what you're saying. Like, you know, Bacala was more, like I said, he wasn't like a regular starship captain. He was like he was more like I imagine, like sort of just really enjoying getting out there. Like, if if we were to do it now, like if we had the the technology, like I almost feel like whoever would sort of captain that project would be someone who's just like, wow, like sort of you know, kid in a candy store. Like we're gonna go out there and we're gonna see what's going on, you know? And yeah. I think that was sort of the right vibe. And I really wanted to see where they went with the future thing. Like I wanted yeah. to know what your motivations were. Like maybe you weren't such a bad guy. Like maybe some fucked up shit happened and that's why you were like trying to stop it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I always felt like because I mean, you play a lot of bad guys, right? I mean, that's sort of you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why when, you know when when Berman and Braga both came up to me and were so effusive about the character in the at this uh, you know, like at the party after the pilot, I suppose it was. I, I just remember distinctly this party where they were both so uh, you know uh, uh, positive about where the character was going to go. <laughs> what what were you? Uh, and, like, like, like you seem like you did. So the reason I asked is such a random thing to you. Hey, what, what are you wearing? Um, but the, <laughs> what are you wearing right now? Uh, um, but the reason, the, the reason, the reason I ask is when you say, when you say, when you say it's not like um, the other treks, it was for me, the future guy character was the thing that seemed very next gen era track. Um, oh, okay. And it was, you know, one that he was from the future. There seemed to be more, more of a formality in the way he spoke as opposed to, let's say, the way all the Enterprise people spoke. Um, oh, sure. There's, 
and and that was sort of my my connection to what I had known in terms of next gen era Trek. So that's what that's what I was hoping for. But anyway, I, I interrupted you in the middle of talking about how Rick Berman and Brandon Berger said that it was going to be huge. No, no, that was that was that, that was all I wanted to say because that's all they said to me. I just I was at the first time I met them, and um, and they were like I said, they were they were very effusive about it and that where it was going to go and what they the plans they had for the this temporal cold war thing and and apparently i don't know you know who knows where the where the decision got made to shelve that uh so we'll we'll never know i'm sure well i'm going yeah. to say i'm going to say that it was admiral barnaby from uh, uh, it was Admiral Barnaby from the 24th century, <laughs> who had come back in time just to fuck with shit because like they were so mean to him when he was on the Enterprise. So there was like Enterprise, fuck those guys was his idea. Yeah. That's that's I'm I'm calling that canon. It was in our conversation. <laughs> I'm so, calling that canon. <laughs> that's canon. We talked about it. That makes it. That makes we, it so. We voted. We voted on it. Came back to squash that timeline and just forget about it. <laughs> yeah, it was like fuck all y'all. Yeah, call that's me, right. call me lieutenant. Fuck you. Uh, Fucking right. call me captain, bitches. Shit. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> No, can, um, I, can I be really crass because it's what I do? Um, did you ever like? Were you ever tempted to like go home in any of the crazy makeup? Oh no! I'm just saying. I'm just saying because you know, especially if your wife is a fan of Trek, which I totally get, right? Like, because if my husband was coming back from, I'm just saying, I would be like, baby, just come home in the makeup. <laughs> well, they would. They would never allow that because, man, I'll tell you, they checked. They checked everything as you were leaving to make sure you weren't taking anything. But and and by the time you did a you know a twelve or fourteen hour day, it took another hour to take it off your face. So uh, you were happy to get that that crap off your face by the end of the day. And I wasn't married then anyway. I've only been married for ten years, and uh, okay, we met. We met at a Trek convention in Italy. That's where I met her. My wife is from Italy. Oh, that's awesome. And you met at a yeah. Trek convention? She was my translator at a, at a Trek convention in Bellaria. It's, uh, that's amazing. Oh, that's so yeah. awesome. See, so Trek brought you guys together. Oh, I love it. You just melted <laughs> our hearts, sir. <laughs> yes. um, well, yeah, she was, uh, she's, she's a sci-fi fan. She always has been. And she, uh, you know, it's, they, there was a, a, a Star Trek fan club started in in italy uh at this at this one place where they and they would bring in every year they and they still do they bring in like shatner and Nimoy or you know one of the main one of the main guys and then they'd fill in with with lesser uh guest star type people and and that's somebody told me uh, barbara luna in fact you remember you know barbara luna <laughs> no. from classic trek she uh, she mentioned that it was a wonderful wonderful time to go and you know you get to do the sightseeing as well as as well as uh, be treated very well. So, I went uh, ten years ago, coming up in ten years ago, and that's where uh, we spent that's four days so together. Cool. I was smitten, shall we say? <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, sir! Yeah, um, that's that's awesome. That's so awesome. Well, listen, you you have been again so generous with your time, um, oh, yeah. and uh, and we could. We could go another like five, six hours because there's so many. Uh, like you're just fun to talk to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but we don't we don't want to monopolize you anyway. Um, I want to first of all, uh, uh, James Rand, thank you, thank you for coming on Trek Off and and just making making our day. This has been an amazing conversation. It's been fun for me too. Thank you for having me on. Um, we end with uh, we we end our show uh, uh, every week um, with especially a guest asking them to say uh alexia's catchphrase which is trick off bitches <laughs> are you ready i'm ready i'm ready oh baby trick off bitches <laughs> <laughs> So you just finished the episode and you're like, hey, that was fun. I'd like more Trek off to put in my ear hole, to put into my brain part. Well, that's really easy. All you got to do is go to trekoffpodcast.com. There's over 100 hours of Trek off. It's free. Just go there, trekoffpodcast.com or search iTunes or whatever pod feed you use or trekoffpodcast.com. That's really easy. You can also like us on Facebook where you'll hear information about everything that we do. Like us there, especially hearing about trekoffmovie.com. That's our movie. We're making a movie based on this. The 
trailer's there. Links are there. Trekoffmovie.com, trekoffpodcast.com. Thank you for listening and trek off.